One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I grew up being told to not be opinionated or like that was a negative trait as a woman. But to have thousands and thousands of women who share that trait and are unashamed of that trait is really empowering. Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald are a force to be reckoned with. The two Melbourne journalists host a successful podcast called Shameless, a podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. In the past year, the show has had over 1 million downloads and their podcast community group has grown dramatically, now having more than 15,000 members. I first became aware of the duo back in September last year and have been obsessed ever since. As cheesy as it may sound, but you ladies really do make my Monday mornings a million times better as I get to wake up to a brand new episode of Shameless. So you can imagine how excited I was when I knew I would be interviewing you two to talk about this great success of your podcast. This is Zara and Michelle, the lovely ladies of Shameless. So what I wanted to first bring up, how did you two meet? So we used to work together a couple of years ago. We were sort of, so we started at Mamma Mia together both as interns and then we started to get rostered on all these wacky time shifts together. Like we were working really late nights together. We were working all weekends together. We were working early mornings together. And when you're working alone in an office, you just start talking a lot of shit. Mm. And it would always be just the two of us as well. We'd be like what you said, exactly that, alone in the office together. We'd get lunches together and I think we just realised after a while that we had a lot of the same interests and we really, really enjoyed kind of snarky, funny commentary on pop culture, particularly like The Bachelor, uh, Hollywood celebrities. It was just something where we realised that we had this connection in the most platonic way possible. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about this stuff and I remember that... uh, Monique Foley, who was the head of podcast at the time, was listening to one of our conversations that Sarah and I were just having over our desks about The Bachelor. And I think she made a joke that we should be on The Bachelor recap podcast together. And we kept pushing it, being like, look at us, come on, put us on a podcast, please. And But she said that a few times, like we would have really snarky conversations to each other and people kept saying, this sounds like a podcast as you're talking. (laughs) So that's how it all started. That's so wicked. Oh, so so go Monza. So so she's really the one that started the whole shameless then. Exactly. 100%. (laughs) No, it is. And I think it's amazing when we would never have considered going into podcasts. Like we are both kind of writers by trade and that's sort of why we entered the industry because we both really like to write um, and sort of being creative in that way. And had never thought to put a microphone in front of our faces until someone said, you should do it and you can do it. I think, well, actually, you hadn't tried, but I had in the past. My name had been put in the ring for the Batch Chat podcast the year before. And it's so funny because that didn't work at all. I tried with another girl at Mamma Mia and the chemistry just was not there on air. So it's really funny that it really depends on what duo you're in, that by yourself or with another person, it might sound completely different. But it was when we were together that it worked really well. So what was it like recording that first episode? Because since you both (laughs) didn't have that much experience in radio and podcasting was more Mm. writing, what was that transition like into, you know, a completely different genre and realm of journalism? Oh, I shudder to think of what that very first episode would have sounded like. Zara and I went to get coffee before we did the trial run and before the first episode. And I think we scripted the entire thing. Oh, no. We are like 
quite over the top generally. So we are like overly <laughs> diligent, overly obsessive, like mildly zany. And I remember when someone like threw out this tiny little thing, like try it, get in the studio and see how you go. We sat at coffee for like two hours before this trial. And then we went into the studio and pretended it was like the most off the cuff thing possible when it absolutely was. fine. <laughs> like it is completely scary to try and have like organic, natural conversations in a setting that doesn't feel like that at all. And I think as well that it's hilarious as soon as you put a microphone in front of someone's face, you might be able to be really eloquent and a great speaker, but as soon as that microphone's in front of you, you seize up and you almost forget how to speak English. I remember that happened to me a few times when we first started doing podcasts. As soon as you have that platform and people are really listening to every single word, you forget how to actually speak properly at all. So Mm -hmm. it was probably a really awkward few first months, I think. I would never go back and listen to those Bash Chat episodes simply because they're so cringeworthy. But (laughs) I think people are going to go back and find them. (laughs) Yes, I've gone back back to the earlier ones. Don't worry, they are good. They're not too cringy. It's okay, girls. Have you gone back and listened to those? (laughs) Yes, I have, yes. But it it only starts off at episode two. There's no episode one. Did you delete episode one? No. (laughs) I love how you said not too cringy as well, as if that is where we're how we're That's the benchmark. Oh, God. Don't worry. Well, you definitely have gotten so much better because you've reached one million downloads. I can imagine a year ago that you did not think that this was going to hit a million downloads. What was it like getting to that benchmark, one million downloads? I think pretty surreal. I mean, we started this podcast not for it to become what it's become. I mean, we worked, we always worked very hard at it, but we had sort of no intention for it to grow how it has so it has been a a completely surreal experience because we've absolutely been learning on the job we had no idea what we were doing we didn't know how to produce podcasts we didn't even know the equipment that we needed we didn't know the technology that we needed so people can actually hear us over the course of the year literally learning on the job until we reach that milestone which was we probably haven't celebrated it enough (laughs) no I think it's crazy when you're in digital media Things happen so quickly and milestones come and go so quickly that you can forget to actually celebrate it. Zara and I spend so much time together as well in that I think on the day we were like, oh, amazing, a million downloads. But then we were doing new headshots that day. We had meetings that afternoon and we just almost completely, it it just passed us by. But when you actually sit down and think about it, one million downloads is huge and we never, ever saw it getting to where it is. Like, I think every single day we're blown away by the community and the number of listeners that we have on every episode. Uh, it just It's such a nice, lovely surprise. But at the same time, we did work super hard behind the scenes to make this a thing. And I think it's just been very rewarding to see that pay off. And not only do you have 1 million downloads, you have over 15,000 members in the Shameless podcast group. And not just 15,000 members, this, these are 15,000 people that are very, very opinionated and very, very active with the Shameless podcast. What is it like that you've created this community through this podcast? It's pretty amazing. I think you kind of, we realized very early on that you kind of create the culture around you that you want. And obviously in being quite, outspoken or opinionated on the podcast those are the kinds of people we were going to naturally attract in a Facebook group it is a minefield to to moderate sometimes (laughs) I'm not going to lie Um, because when you talk about celebrity and you talk about influencer culture or pop culture and you want to talk about that in a smart way there's a very fine line between smart and snarky um, and it can be hard for people to get that balance right so creating huge or sort of building a huge community of people who want to talk about this stuff in in a nice productive way is hard because not everyone can do it very well. 
Yeah, mm. and it's probably been the biggest commitment out of this podcast. The Facebook group is so active, which is amazing, but it does mean that we need to have eyes on that group every hour of every single day because the comments going on and the posts uh, can be litigious even. Like, they can get us into legal trouble if it goes down the wrong path or they can just get very uh, feisty or emotional very quickly. So it's something that we constantly need to be on top of. But it has been such a blessing having that Facebook group and all the people in that group who care about the same things and want to have their voices heard and are opinionated because I think Zara and I are opinionated people who often had that, I, I don't know, I guess I, I grew up being told not to be opinionated or like that was a negative trait as a woman. But to have thousands and thousands of women who all share that trait and are unashamed of that trait is really empowering. Yeah, it's nice to have a community where people have that in common and feel encouraged to say what they think and not be ashamed of that because we do live in a world where it is often um, unattractive, quote-unquote, to be an opinionated woman. And to not dilute that as well. So much of our lives as women is spent being told to dilute what you think and dilute what you say and minimise your impact in social situations. So to have a safe space where people can say exactly what they feel unapologetically is really brilliant. Absolutely, definitely. And your voices are definitely very influential on the thousands of women and also men as well in the group. In particular, late last year, you were discussing in an episode about skin cancer. And like over the years, like I'm in my early 20s, in my teens and in my early 20s, you know, I've been told, you know, oh, wear sunscreen, you'll get skin cancer. But never have I seen so many people in their 20s, 30s and late teens be so proactive for awareness of skin cancer and wearing sunscreen and you guys have influenced that how does that feel that you've pretty much influenced so many thousands of women that skin cancer is an issue that needs to be taken seriously it's funny when we did start the podcast we wanted it to be a smart take on the news but obviously we are inherently interested in things like you know skin cancer or stuff that affects us all so it's a sort of a funny balance we actually um wanted to do a segment because we saw that great campaign that started called Call Time on Melanoma and we saw a great piece on Birdie um, that was an interview with a skin cancer um, survivor and we that we were quite affected by that and I was particularly because I was exactly like you Demi I had never taken my skin um, very seriously I'd never taken my time in the sun very seriously and so it's funny when you sit in front of a microphone and talk about that stuff I think people assume that you are really good at it you know, at the skin thing or have already come to terms with it. But in fact, doing that segment was me saying straight away, okay, I need to hold myself to account. And in having this conversation on such a public level, I now have to be very careful about what I do with my skin. But that was sort of the start point for me. Like that was a trigger. Yeah, I think so many of the conversations we do have like that need to start from quite a relatable place. Zara and I aren't perfect and we don't live these flawless lives where we're socially conscious all the time. But I think the biggest impact we've had is when we've been really honest and when we've admitted that we've fucked something up or that we've admitted that we're not perfect in taking care of our skin or not binge drinking or whatever it might be. And then when you start from that point where a listener can feel like they're in your shoes and they're sitting next to you and they're in the exact same position as you, that's when you can actually enact change. I think a big part of social change means that you have to get on that level and really relate to them because if you preach down and you act like you're holier than thou and that you've got all your shit sorted out, then people feel like they're excluded and that they don't have any room for being imperfect. 
And also another topic that you guys have brought up multiple times on the podcast is the dangers of wellness influencers. Do influencers have a duty on Instagram to promote and educate their followers correctly? Well, I think Zara said this a few months ago and it stuck with us ever Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60. It's just three words which would do no harm. You don't have to be advocating for women to be wearing sunscreen, but you shouldn't be advocating for women lathering themselves in tanning oil and lathering that as protection. Influencers get into really murky, dangerous territory when they position themselves as an expert on things that they've simply Googled or things that they are letting be informed by their ego. Well, I think we live in a world now that expects brands in particular and that could be across uh, you know big companies or personal brands to stand for something and we expect people to be so morally virtuous which is great but it also can be quite exhausting for people who honestly have just created a personal brand because they like posting photos of their clothes and I don't think it's reasonable for us to expect them to be the purveyors of all things good and true but I do think their only responsibility is to have fun and like Nish already said do no harm and that is kind of their role whether that means not positioning themselves as experts on medical advice or experts on anything that they're not an expert in really i think we should cut them some slack in saying they don't have to stand for anything like that's completely fine there are enough people in the world who do stand for things but it's when they do active harm that we are more interested in calling it out this gets really tricky as well in that being a health influencer is very lucrative something that we haven't discussed enough on the podcast that lots of women do want to position themselves as an expert because the brand endorsement deals and the dollars that will end up in their bank account because they've positioned themselves like that is huge. If you come out and say, oh, I know all about gut health, the number of brands and vitamins and supplements that are going to be knocking down your door for you to sponsor their kombucha is crazy. And that's not me hating on kombucha. I love kombucha, but it is to say that there is big money in this game and I think we're naive when we think that women go into this not really thinking about the dollar signs involved because I think they do and I can think of a number of health influencers out there who have zero qualifications or who say that they're an expert because they did a health coaching course online which is to be honest very offensive to people who have actually done degrees in the fields that these women ought to have expertise in when they don't. When you guys talk about these wellness influencers, they have lots and lots of followers, of course. Over the past year, what has been the reaction of the influencers you talk about on the podcast? What has been the reaction of their followers? Um, Look, a lot of people are quite invested in the people that they follow and they can get quite defensive when you call it out. Like, I think that's the brutal truth of it. And I think we knew that from the very beginning, that if we were going to have conversations wanting to hold someone relatively high profile to account, that that was the trade-off, that there would be people who would leave us negative reviews because of it, that there would be people who would send us abusive messages because of it. And I think it's a classic case of having having to weigh up sort of the long-term gain, the short-term pain. I think they can be ferocious, even the health influencers themselves. I've received fairly nasty emails this year 
about something that was said on the podcast, but that doesn't mean that we're going to stop doing what we're doing because we truly believe that what we're saying is helpful. And even if one of these influencers' followers listen and comes to the realisation that they shouldn't be getting medical and health advice from someone on Instagram, then it's all worth it. And I do love how on the podcast you never ever say, this is right, this is wrong. Like, for example, when you were discussing Ashy Bynes, you brought up someone that is a loyal follower of hers and then also someone and also other people that have had bad experience. I really do like it's not just about, you know, like, oh, this person, they're crap or like, like you don't do it in a bullying de- defamation format. You do it in a analyzing way of just a formal discussion of it, of the whole, the whole issue of it all, not the actual person itself. Yeah, I think being analytical about all the issues we discuss, firstly, we do that. We don't want to be sued. <laughs> but secondly, our backgrounds as journalists, I think that was just drummed into us from quite a young age that you need to get both sides of the story and you can't be black and white with the issues that you discuss. And that's something we always endeavour to do in anything that we talk about. And also, I mean, we're 24-year-old journalists who've been working for only a couple of years. Like, we don't know that much. And I'm pretty happy to admit that. So if we can introduce sort of the grey areas to certain ideas or the grey areas to certain, I don't know, segments, then I'm more than happy to do that because that's just the reality of who we are. So I have to ask as well, when you're researching these stories, I can imagine there is a lot of certain publications that are not your favourites, and I think, and you you guys know which ones I'm talking about, that you have to (laughs) read through the headlines that are very long (laughs) and very problematic wordy florid annoying <laughs> yes mm-hmm. because you're both successful journalists how do you guys handle reading articles and reading headlines from publications and you just look at it i'm not going to say which publication but it's just really crappy <laughs> i think uh we do find it infuriating i think some of the Topics that are covered by mainstream publications are just ludicrous. All the angles that they take, particularly in talking about women in the public eye like Meghan Markle, we just, it's a massive eye roll every time that we come across it. But I think we've arrived at the point now where this is just what the mainstream media looks like and got to kind of be a bit apathetic about it because I don't think it's going to change anytime soon because the sad reality is, is that the more publications pursue this clickbait, trashy journalism narrative the more people click. So, yeah, I mean, it is infuriating. Sometimes you'll come across a a story like about Samantha Armitage's underwear, for example, and it will really get to you and really annoy you. But at the end of the day, these publications are massive in their sway and in their power, and I don't think they're going to go anywhere anytime soon. It's just something that we've got to live with and try and navigate in an intelligent way. And that's the sad reality of it is that we hate so much you know the clickbait articles and the long headlines and just trashy journalism but it gets people's attention and we're talking about it right now so that's the sad reality of it definitely yeah how do you make sure Mm -hmm. at the end of these podcasts when the mics turn off how do you make sure like things don't stay heated afterwards or get into an argument because you're talking about topics that you both have different perspectives and opinions on um, I think it's funny because we do, uh, we are quite passionate people and we're passionate about the kinds of things that we're talking about. That's why we do what we do. But I don't think people should be fooled that we care that much that when the microphones are turned <laughs> off, we would be annoyed at each other. There's a lot of mutual respect there in that even if I am super passionate, we are also very stubborn. <laughs> so I can probably be fighting against Michelle and seeing 
the reason behind half of the points that she's saying, but still disagreeing with them at the same time, which I think is the difference. And I think it's funny. I think some people believe that Zara and I will fight after an episode or that like our relationship <laughs> is in jeopardy every time we disagree. I think we honestly just have the kind of friendship where we can be brutally honest with each other and then we'll be fine afterwards. Like I've never been concerned that anything that Zara and I have disagreed on would be a long-term impact on our friendship. I don't think we've ever been fighting for longer than maybe an hour or two. <laughs> and I think the other thing to consider is that it was kind of how our relationship and our friendship was born. It was out of disagreeing with each other about most of the stories that were coming across our desk. So it's certainly not an anomaly for us to disagree. It just makes it more interesting, I think. And I think it's also representative of a lot of female friendships. I think so much of what we see of female friendship in the mainstream is always agreeing with each other and everything being very neat and tidy. But Zara and I definitely don't always agree with each other and we do push each other on certain things, but that's just the nature of our friendship. And I don't think I would have it any other way. Like it would be boring if we agreed on everything that we talked about. Yeah, no, I think that's what makes the podcast so great is your discussions. And by the end of every single episode, like I always feel I have a hundred new different point of views that I did not even consider at the beginning of the podcast, which I think so many other women and men listening to the podcast would 100% agree with. Oh, that's very lovely. We hope. Some of them might be stupider than others. And then the last question I have for both of you is, since the podcast is all about smart women discussing dumb stuff, for example, pop culture, celebrity gossip, why is it okay? Why is it okay for women to talk about pop culture and celebrity gossip and Instagram influences for so long it's just been, you know, oh, this is women's topic. This is, you know, just fluffy stuff. Why is it okay and why should it be something more discussed and something women should be more proud of that they listen to and are interested in? Uh, whenever we get this question, I think I always arrive at the same conclusion that if if men or if anyone, I love sport, but if anyone can sit around a TV and watch 20 to 40 men run around a football oval and handball a ball back and forth and kick it through sticks and that's labelled as a legitimate hobby, then I don't understand why talking about culture wouldn't be a legitimate hobby. Like, to me, they're both as frivolous as each other, but if you genuinely get enjoyment out of looking at pop culture and analysing it, then why the hell not? The content we consume and our reactions to it say a lot about psychology and who we are so to me it's obvious like it's never been a question of can I enjoy this it's obviously I enjoy this and I want to talk about it with as many people as I can well and I think I don't know if this is too much of a bold claim but I do think you can derive more meaning from how we consume pop culture and celebrity than we can from how we consume sports like I do think it says so much about us and our interests and media's reporting says a lot about what we value and how you position women And I think that's really important and I will fight forever to be able to talk about that in a way that doesn't make people feel stupid, in a way that makes people feel included um, and makes people feel hopefully just like a little bit smarter for understanding sort of the industry that we're in and sort of the the world that we're living in a bit. And yeah, and it should just be something people shouldn't be ashamed of and it's just, it's something that is in our lives. So why not discuss it anyway? Exactly. It's everywhere. You can't escape it. So why not consume it in a, in a healthy way? Well, thank you, you two, so, so much for letting me interview you. I know it's very, very hectic for you girls now, especially like you're both freelancing. And I can see on Facebook, everyone on Facebook is just like, oh, do three shows, you know, that's nothing at all. No. You want to die. <laughs> thank you so much for letting me talk to you two. Oh, thank, thank you, Demi. Thank you so much for having us. Great questions. Great chat. 
Thank you so much for listening to my chat with Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald, the two co-hosts of Shameless. It was a real struggle not to fangirl during this interview as I admire and adore these two journalists so much. So make sure you check out the podcast Shameless, available wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening to episode four of the Nasty Woman Club. Make sure you check out the Nasty Woman Club Facebook page and Instagram page. This show was hosted and produced by myself, Demi Lynch. The Nasty Woman Club is a show dedicated to inspiring women telling their inspiring stories. So if you know someone that is inspiring and a badass nasty woman, you can nominate them by emailing the show at demiklynch at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.